In the dark of night, three men enter a haunted house. In the confines of that haunted house, they will tell their most horrifying tales. This is Boob Two Boys Give Each Other Stupid Creepypastas Edition, Volume Two, Year Two. Part Two. Part Two. <laughs> the Reckoning. I'm Brian Vaughn. I'm joined by Van Lee. Mm-hmm. Shut up. And Spencer Hendricks. <laughs> There it is. There's the catchphrase. I didn't want to. Spencer, you broke this solemn tone I was trying to maintain. But now that you have, let's go with it. Too scary. Yeah, we brought you four captivating, harrowing stories last week. Spine tingling. Yeah, I go that far. Bone crunching, scalp looking at, (laughs) toe licking. (laughs) We did that. We did a little that in the last story. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well. (laughs) So if you haven't listened to those, you should go back and listen to them. But this week, we have three brand new tales we've handed to one another. And I'll say it, we're in our full groove now. Yeah. We've, we've read a few stories. We're bringing you more. The fall weather is about to hit, but unfortunately, it's not quite here right now. It hit for one day yep. and then was like, no, here's the summer. Yep. We're going to watch some scare scare movies later. Do you guys have a favorite Halloween like monster type thing? That you think is the coolest? Hmm. Do you Boy, prefer really a mummy, don't. a Dracula? I don't have a favorite a way to point that. I don't know. I guess I'd say Dracula, but I'm not saying that confidently. That's at all. one vote for Dracula, Spencer. I have a nice memory of this one time when I worked at a library. We did like a staff day in the back of the library, away from all the prying eyes of those those book getters, <laughs> <laughs> those cowards. Uh, we were in the back, away from the prying eyes of the public, watching scary movies in the back, and just. The director just picked some like old classic originals that I'd never really seen. So yeah, we did, we did Frankenstein, and we did like we did that first Dracula that had like Bela Lugosi. Mm-hmm. You know, so we did like we and they're not scary or anything, but I just really enjoyed kind of combining the classics with the spirit of Halloween. It's a nice, it was a nice feeling. So I have a good cozy memory of that. Yeah, I think monsters are all pretty cool. I'm a goblin man, as you guys know. Mm-hmm. Really into goblins. Think they're pretty cool. Don't know what they do. Exactly. But I do know what gremlins do, which is a reminder to check out our Twilight Zone episodes here on this very main feed. But I've beat around the bush long enough. With pussyfooting around. Yeah. I think we might as well start our story tales. Aren't there, you got to stuff birds in your hand because they're better than bushes. Two of those better than one that's stuck in the bush. Oh, that's it. Whoever. Or wait, one of those in your hand. Yeah. Better than two in the bush. I, it's funny to me that there was a guy a long time ago who said that and everyone was dumbstruck at how fucking wise it was. <laughs> yeah. Like, They're like I am going to tell my kids and my kids' kids about this and it's going to be passed down for hundreds and thousands of years <laughs> what you just said right now. To the point where there are dads out there right now <laughs> running up to their kids and going, Sally, don't throw that hot dog away to go and try and find two more. <laughs> I think it worked, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's what he I had intended. to think about it, but yes, it fits. It's a real thinking man's <laughs> problem. Thing that, that's the theme of this podcast. We're a real thinking man's podcast. Well, I'm glad I brought it up. The first story I have for you guys today, and I do have it, I will be the first reader. This is a continuation, I might add. This also is. This is a sequel. It's a sequel week, except for Brian's story. Almost directly, because this story I had Spencer read last time wasn't necessarily a continuation of the first story. It just happened to be in the same universe. This is a continuation 
of the first story I made Brian read last year. Okay. So I recommend going and listening to it. You don't have to have done that. That's fine. But you should. You'll get it. You should. But you, you should. should listen. This story that Van has primed us on, as the author is wont to do on this podcast, inside the author's studio with Boob Two Boys, is called The Race of Death. Again. Told you it's a sequel. There's That's more to all, it. There's more to the title. All sequels should end in again. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. So in parentheses for Brian. See, there <laughs> That's we go. fine, too. I awoke with the familiar sound of my phone alarm echoing throughout the empty room. The ringtone was that peanut butter jelly time song from the internet. You know the one. It goes, peanut butter jelly time, peanut butter jelly time. I think you need more enthusiasm when reading <laughs> this, Brian. Okay. It goes, peanut butter jelly time, peanut butter jelly time. And everyone <laughs> fucking loses their shit. I think it's the funniest thing in the world. Nothing has ever been this funny since that hamster turned around. <laughs> Do you guys remember yeah, when that hamster happened? Dance, of course. Right? I can hear the song even. Do, 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 That's do. the one. That song. That dominated 1998. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the early days of the internet were sad times. Although. No, it's still sad. Yeah. I think every time is a sad time. It just depends. You'll get out of it and you'll be like, that was pretty sad. I mean, the, the one good thing about the original internet that we were a part of is it had the the first Space Jam website. That was a cool that thing. That is it's really true. It's not all true. bad on the internet. The internet back then didn't necessarily... Not a, Yeah, it wasn't as... The people who want to take advantage of it, they hadn't yet found their presence online like they have They now. hadn't elected presidents yet, <laughs> things like that. So that now, now it's a little frightening. Okay, now that I've done my peanut butter jelly time performance. Well, you did it well. It was my ringtone because I really liked the internet. <laughs> and it always got me to smile when I woke up in the mornings. But today was not like other morning days. It was a Sunday. I said earlier that the ringtone echoed through the empty room, and that's because the room was large and empty. <laughs> and that made it echoey. I slung my legs off to the side of the bed, which is shaped like a race car because I am a young man who likes race cars. As my feet touched the ground, I felt a stinging sensation in my brain, and that happened because I abruptly remembered that today was the 10-year anniversary of the most devastating thing to have ever happened to me. You see, my name is Jeff Gordman. <laughs> and if that name stands out to you, it's because it's my name. And the name of my brother was not Jeff Gordman. It was horse riding legend Tough Gordman. <laughs> I'm his younger brother, and it was on in this day, a mere 10 years ago, that he won the race of death and lost the race of life. <laughs> I mean, he died. He died because of Richard Petty, who is our father. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I heard about my brother, Tough Gordman, horse riding legend who died by Richard Petty, like it was yesterday. But it wasn't. It was 10 years ago to this day. <laughs> My boisterous uncle, Uncle Penny Codsworth Manshire, had rung me up on the phone. Me boy, said Uncle in a voice that may have been the one he used last year. It's may, pretty good so far. It's close. May not have been. Brian did not listen to it again. Should have. My boy, said Uncle Penny Codsworth Manshire, my boisterous British uncle. Me boy, you've got a terrible spot of news to share with you. It appears you're dashing in talented brother. Horse riding legend Tough Goldman has died. I let out an audible gasp from my mouth. <gasps> and an uncomfortable silence wafted through the air. Finally, Uncle Penny Codsworth Manshire chimed in. We're up. Sorry about that, lad. See you at Christmas. It wasn't until much later in the afternoon that I learned the circumstances of my brother's death. I, too, had grown up thinking our father was dead. 
<laughs> and was also not NASCAR legend Richard Petty, but the news only confirmed the tale. I was sad and upset. I never again heard from my British and boisterous uncle, Uncle Penny Codsworth Manshire. That is until this day. That's in bold, so this shit is important. It was now, now. And if you remember, I had put my feet on the ground after getting out of bed in my empty room and my bed was a race car. (laughs) I rubbed the sleep from my eyes furiously and swatted at my still screeching phone. But it was then that I discovered it wasn't my alarm ringtone, it was my phone ringtone, which was for a phone call. I used the same peanut butter jelly time ringtone for all my alerts because I like peanut butter jelly time. (laughs) I didn't recognize the number, and it was like an hour before I usually got up, so I just went back to sleep. I awoke with the familiar sound of my phone alarm echoing throughout the empty room. It was that peanut butter (laughs) jelly time song from the internet. As I pawed at my phone, I noticed I had a voicemail message. That's odd, I said loudly into my empty room. It's not totally empty, that is. There's a bed shaped like a race car in there. (laughs) I pressed play and was met with the sound of a voice I hadn't heard in years. The sound of my uncle, Uncle Penny Codsworth Manshire. Only he didn't have his trademark British accent. Well, he did, but it was layered underneath a Russian accent, so it just (laughs) sounded like a British man doing a Russian accent. He said, Comrade Jif, (laughs) I'll reach you on this day to remind you of a meeting at the stables horse on the 5th Avenue in noted Russian stronghold Bartlett, Tennessee. Tis imperative that you bring your, what is this? It gods, no! <laughs> the sound of gunshots and knife stabs resonated through my phone. I thought to myself, I wonder if my uncle has been shot and stabbed. <laughs> <laughs> it was unclear, but I knew something was amiss. I decided there was probably a reason my uncle said that particular stable in Bartlett, Tennessee. So I packed a small lunch and decided to take the bus there. I mean, I lived in Bartlett, Tennessee, so it wasn't that far. (laughs) In fact, I was on 2nd Avenue, so I probably should have just walked, but I wasn't feeling it. After all, I'd been woken up a little bit before my alarm, and that kind of makes the whole day feel just a little off anyway. Upon arriving at the stables, I was met by an old crone with an eerie accent. She seemed to speak only in riddles, saying, When is a door not a door? Which, by all accounts, was a riddle. I sat down on the stable floor, unable to come up with the answer, so instead I decided to eat my lunch. I had packed a ham and crackers lunchable, and was absolutely going to town on the stack of cheese when she impatiently (laughs) repeated the same riddle. When is a door not a door? I told her I didn't know, and anyway, leave me alone while I I tried different stacked combination of meat, cheese, and crackers. But she persisted in questioning, when is a door not a door? She shouted eerily. Just then, a figure stepped out of the shadow. He was wearing a long cloak, his shaggy head of dark hair flecked with gray, and his pale, stern face with a pair of keen gray eyes. The tall, lean figure approached the eerie woman and said, When it is uh, ajar... Get it? When it's a door, not a door? When it's ajar. (laughs) Huh? Fuck. (laughs) You learn something new every day. At that, the woman's face began to twist and contort into a writhing mass of skin, her features becoming indistinguishable from one another. A frightening moan bellowed from deep within the woman, and in a bright flash, her entire being dissipated into the ether, leaving behind a smoky mist where flesh and bone once stood. 
I watch in awe as I scarf down the single Oreo cookie <laughs> that comes standard with every Lunchable. I leave those for last, too. Oh, yeah. The shadowy figure approached me, placing a firm hand on my shoulder. Who are you? I asked. I am but a whisper in the wind. A passing shadow, a wandering soul without a home. I am known by your kind as Strider. A ranger from a land long gone. But what is important is that I know who you are, Jeff Gordman. <laughs> With the taste of salted ham, American-style cheese, and buttery crackers on my tongue, I was perhaps all too eager to accept help from this wistful spirit. But I also knew I wanted to get home and play Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 tonight with my guild. And if this cloaked figure could make that happen, then I would gladly accept his help. Okay, I said. (laughs) (laughs) Strider looked me in the eyes and said, It is but fate that you and I meet on this eve. You see, there are things set in motion long ago which threatened to destroy everything that you and I hold dear. For a malevolent power rises in the east, and I believe you are the key to stopping this evil and restoring order and reason to our world. You see, he continued, I was there the day your brother was killed. A look crossed my face. (laughs) You were at Port Arena during the race of death? I couldn't believe it. So I asked him that question. (laughs) Strider's expression sank. I wasn't just there. I finished in fourth place. (laughs) It was then that I knew for sure Strider had been at the race of death because he said he was. But what does this mean? Was he responsible for my brother's death? Did he get any prize money for finishing out of the top three? I was so taken aback I farted a little bit. There's much for you to learn, my young friend, Strider said. But first, I have a gift sent directly from the heavens. The tall man moved to a blanket that was covering something suspiciously horse-shaped in the horse stables where I was standing. He whipped the blanket back to reveal something I never thought I would see again. Dream fucker! I shouted with glee. I had assumed that when my father, who is also Richard Petty, killed my brother, horse-riding legend Tough Gordman, he had also eliminated the life out of his prized horse, the fifth fastest in all the land. But here he stood in front of me, covered in hair and chewing on anything his mouth could reach. Schroeder reached a hand out to brush a whole bunch of ants off Dreamfucker. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. When your father stole the life from your brother, horse-riding legend Tough Godman, I spirited his steed away in the dead of night. I had hoped that one day I could see this mighty stallion returned to his true master. By then, ants were all over Dreamfucker. He didn't seem to mind a whole lot, though. Which was a bit weird. (laughs) (laughs) But my mind had already wandered to thoughts of using my fully upgraded and pack-a-punched M4A1 carbine machine gun to mow down kids with gamer tags like ButtGuzzler69 and 1999 ShitBooger Double (laughs) Z. Strider saw my eyes gloss over, thinking about my next round of COD with my friends Cody and Kenji. Kenji wasn't really Asian. He was just really into the character Kenji in Overwatch, so he started calling himself that. Sure, giving yourself a nickname is pretty lame, but Kenji's mom told me he has some sort of brain disorder that makes him stupid. (laughs) So I decided it'd be okay to call him that. 
But then there's also that time I wanted to be called Shadow, and he told me it was a stupid name and broke my Xbox One. <laughs> so maybe I should start calling him Ben, his real name. <laughs> anyway, Strider told me it was time to prepare for my final challenge. But to do so, we needed to travel all the way back to Butt Point, Texas. I opened my mouth to complain about how far away that is from here, but Strider stuck his whole ant-covered hand in my mouth <laughs> and told me not to worry. He'll be able to get us there and fast. <laughs> this ant subplot is really, really stealing the show. We got there and fast because Strider had a helicopter outside that had a shark face painted on the front of it. <laughs> we had a hard time getting Dreamfucker tied to it. <laughs> But eventually, Strider gave me a bunch of Benadryl and the horse fell asleep. <laughs> Along the way, Strider explained to me a bunch of important stuff or whatever. He told me I have to avenge my brother, and if I don't, a great power can take over the world and blah, blah, blah. By that time, I had quit listening and remembered I still had my Capri Sun from the Lunchable in my bag. Only my bag was in the fucking cargo hold and I couldn't get to it. I ad-libbed a fucking out of frustration for the character. It's appropriate. Strider offered water and some orange juice, but it's just not the same. It was a short walk to Port Arena from the helicopter landing field where everyone parks their helicopters. <laughs> but I asked Strider if we could wait for the shuttle. He reminded me we have a horse and need to get him there. <laughs> but I nagged a bunch and eventually wore him down, so I took a shuttle and made him ride a now antless dream fucker to the <laughs> arena. We stopped at the registration desk for the Race of Death 2XXX edition, and Strider kept saying, you remember how there's a $25 registration fee? But I just pretended I couldn't hear him and looked straight up at the sky for a while. And eventually he paid and, and eventually he caved and paid the fee. <laughs> I, I had succeeded in getting everything I wanted up to this point. So what's a lousy race to the death? I stopped to root through the garbage and see if there were any McDonald's Monopoly pieces that people forgot to pull off their cups. <laughs> but Strider got mad and grabbed me by the shoulders, forcing, forcing me to look into his eyes. With a stern expression on his face, he shouted into my mouth, This is no mere game, boy! The fate of the universe hangs in the balance. He calmed down and continued, the prophecies foretold of a great warrior engaging in a glorious battle. He stood atop the mound of bodies of many fallen warriors, his mighty axe held aloft. I was told the beauty of the light shining off the shimmering blade was greater than thrice that of the fairest elf maiden. I can still see the glint in my grandfather's eye as he told me my part to play in these events. By this point I had grown bored. So I coughed into Strider's face. <laughs> he recoiled in surprise and disgust. <laughs> well, we shouldn't have talked into his mouth in the first place. <laughs> he recoiled in surprise and disgust, and I told him then and there that I fully understood my mission and my role. And then I reminded him that I am horse riding legend Jeff Gordman. And atop the valiant Dreamfucker, the fifth fastest horse in all the land. So I was sure to win. Strider smiled at me and led me to the gates of the racetrack. But by then I decided to wander off in search of some island vibes. I found them in a neat little Caribbean-inspired bar located next to the track. It was the kind of place where they definitely hire white people for the staff, 
But they still dress them up in a gaudy Hawaiian shirts and make them learn how to play the steel drum. <laughs> I approached the bartender, a Jamaican man with a delightful accent, and asked him to fill my whole mouth up with grenadine. <laughs> <laughs> he agreed, and I laid down on the bar countertop. <laughs> As he poured the syrupy drink into my mouth, he said something strange. Something that stuck with me, even though I wasn't sure what it meant. His exact words were, in an accent that Brian is comfortable doing, <laughs> so a European one. And so be needing to run that race track soon? I can't be giving you the hard stuff when you be driving. Anyway, you're probably going to get caught from someone you know. I'm going to be saying betrayal, you know. <laughs> and that was difficult, so as not to seem racist. <laughs> I had grenadine coming out my ears, I was so full, but I knew this mysterious stranger was right. I did have to race just then. Besides, I remembered that I did have a whole bunch of horse racing trophies and awards. And I'd won a ton of prize money on last year's Virginia Slims North American Horse Racing Circuit. I could definitely rely on my quick reflexes and inherent skill, but I knew I better get going. I quickly put my socks back on and rushed out the door toward the stall where Dreamfucker was waiting. The good news is I made it there before the race. The bad news is I overestimated my years and years of training because it turns out I forgot which way horses face. I couldn't remember if the butt ran first <laughs> or if the head because it would be really cool to see the butt go first, which made me think I've seen that before. And, and anyway, I also don't remember what button starts this thing anyway. Strider arrived and helped me out though, picking me up by my hips and placing me right on the horse. Strider was pretty strong. He told me he knew I was struggling, so he put some magic inside the horse. Then all he had to do was sit there and not throw up at the end because it would be embarrassing. I told him, nice shirt, does it come in men's? <laughs> that got him so good because all he did was sigh a bunch. It was a bit before the race of death would begin because they still had to do the national anthem. So I took the time to scout out my <laughs> opponents. <laughs> I made mental notes to myself so that I would remember which ones are in the race and which ones are fans watching in the stands. That way it wouldn't be so confusing. The first racer said his name was impossible to pronounce by a human face, so I should just call him Shadow. This made me think about Kenji again, and I got mad. I made sure to say that I thought Shadows were stupid, and I had to yell it so he could for sure hear it down at the end. For good measure, I said it six times so that everyone knows how dumb Shadow is. <laughs> Next to him was a man who kept insisting he was just there to watch the race, but I didn't believe him. I kept asking his name until he finally got up and left to complain to the ushers. But before they could make it back, I quickly ran back to my horse and pretended not to be able to hear anyone who tried to talk to me. Eventually, the usher shrugged and left me alone. There was also this curious bug-shaped fellow in the stall next to mine. His horse was metal and almost looked like it was an insect pod with two engines strapped to it. This Pod Racer was apparently the fastest in the land, and his whole body was just his face, so I knew he could be trouble. I won the race. <laughs> in the winner's circle, I managed to keep the grenadine from coming up, <laughs> so I pointed and laughed at my belly, saying, I've beaten you! I've beaten you! Everyone kind of backed away from me a little bit, but then Strider showed up and leaned in really close. He said, I am not Strider. I'm NASCAR legend Richard Petty, and also your father. He reached up to his neck, peeling off the mask to reveal the distinct mustache and sunglasses of Richard Petty. 
He also had one of those cowboy hats with a feather in it, like Richard Petty wears. <laughs> I saw the flash of the blade as he pulled it from his pocket, intent on plunging it deep into my chest. It was as if I saw it all in slow motion, because I had time to flash all the way back to ten years ago when I first found out my brother had been killed. A memory I had suppressed came crashing back to my mind. It was mere minutes before I received the call from my boisterous British uncle, Uncle Penny Cosworth Manshire. I saw a blurry face suddenly become clear to me. It was of my mother, Ricky Petty. She said to me in her trademark, sensual, sultry, and yet high-pitched lady's voice with a Canadian accent, You will soon become my chosen one, my dear Jeff Gordman. Train your mind, train your body, and train your soul, eh? Someday you'll come face to face with your father, and you must know the deceit and betrayal is in his heart, eh? So fuck him up for me, would ya? Mere inches from plunging deep into my forehead, the shining dagger suddenly reversed course as a loud oomph was barked out by my father. Now safe from death, I did the only thing I could think. I started waving my arms wildly above my head and shouting nonsense. Just then I realized what happened. Dreamfucker had sprung forward after sensing danger and gave my dad, Richard Petty, a really good chomping from his chompers. But the majestic horse didn't stop there. In a flash of teeth and hair and ants, Dreamfucker gobbled up almost all of my father, leaving behind a shiny belt buckle that had an arrow pointing down and said, Good time, dispenser. <laughs> I had saved the galaxy, and then Dreamfucker had saved me. I stopped swinging my arms for just a moment and approached the powerful stallion. I reached in to pet his big horse nose, but I didn't see the glint of the blade this time. The horse snickered a mean snicker and leaned in close to me. It took all of my energy to bewilderingly utter the words, A2 Dreamfucker? I died then, and that's a shame because I didn't get to play Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. The end. All right, yeah. Again. A, a, Some... a worthy sequel, perhaps an Empire Strikes Back of the franchise, <laughs> the franchise best. Yeah, I Some just wanted to write a sequel. Betrayals on betrayals there at the end. I gave Brian some good accents, right? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah oh, very, very specific ones that I definitely knew what to do with. I did tone it down compared to the first episode, though. Yeah, the that's that's very true. There were only like 10 of them. Well, that was a lot of fun to write, so. It was very fun Glad to read. Next Richard, up. Richard Petty's kind of murderous. I, yeah, I Richard the, Petty's an asshole. Story there. You know, if there's one of those AITA things on Reddit, you know, those I, Am I the Assholes? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Richard Petty, the answer is yes. He's the asshole. Also a, a ghost murderer of sorts. Yeah, that could also be a different Reddit thread. Is that TIL, Today I Learned, Today I Learned Richard Petty is a ghost murderer. Mm -hmm. Okay. I would like to shout out my fave parts of reading that were the recurring ants thing, mm -hmm. and then obviously the, uh, the mouth thing. The yeah. talking and coughing into the face. And putting his whole hand in his mouth. Sure. Yeah. That sort of he thing. He was such a deadbeat looking for like looking for the McDonald's monopoly things and trash cans. <laughs> oh, that was and, great too. Yeah. And also I might have done that as character. a kid. Oh, I would have done it for sure. Does they do that stuff? I, don't I think hope so. I mean like I have fond memories of that awful, awful thing for some reason. So I kinda hope they do. But also fuck them. Fuck them and, and fuck cupcakes too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have uh, another story here to read. This one comes courtesy of Spencer. And it's called Touch the Skull. <laughs> uh, you want to go before or after? Most of it I'll do after, but the, the only thing we need to know up front is that Van read this very, the, these same characters a year ago. 
and we are returning one year later for them as well on their Halloween journey. And if I remember, it was some kids in school. They were mm -hmm. trick-or-treating. Right. One was uh, a little full of himself. and The football player. Kids. Yeah. And the, and then, Hope he tears his ACL for the, real. Yeah, we'll see the, what they learned from their trick-or-treating last year and if they apply that to this year. The story ended with the, the creepy kid Jasper, the nerdy, pale, thin one. He led... He, Kyle, the football player, Jock, ran away in fear, so he led the narrator up the hill to the haunted house. and Which was, was his house. Yes, it turns out he lived there in the neighborhood, too. So, you know, now we're going to figure out the aftermath of all that. Well, here we go. Touch the skull. I still don't understand how you did it. I'm used to Jasper as we trudged our way to the end of yet another neighborhood street, our candy hall already starting to weigh us down despite the palpable sensation that the night was still young. Or why? Kyle chimed in from behind us. He'd been having trouble keeping up for a while. He'd brought two pillowcases this year to hold his candy and vowed to fill them both to capacity. The treats inside distributed evenly between them because he was worried an imbalance might pose an injury risk. I was already getting tired of him stopping constantly to readjust the weight, and it took everything I had not to say that the football team would survive losing their third-string linebacker. But I was trying to be nice this Halloween. I was especially trying to be nice to Jasper, who'd pulled the single most epic prank of all time last year. Knowing we were all afraid of the giant house at the top of the haunted hill in our otherwise friendly cul-de-sac, he had staged a frightful scene with the homeowner behind our backs and pretended that he had lived there himself all along, mm. and that it was some sort of demonic hellscape. More like Asper, because <laughs> he's best man pulling a prank like that. It went over especially well since I'd always suspected Jasper might be a ghoul anyway. <coughs> Kyle had been so scared of making the trip up the hill in the first place that he'd faked an injury and run home, but Jasper and I dutifully climbed to what I briefly thought was my demise. Just when I was about to fully surrender to a cursed afterlife, I heard laughter. And not just Jasper's raspy, high-pitched cackle, but the booming guffaw of an adult male. Upon introducing himself, I learned his name was Frank. Frank turned out to be super nice and had the best candy of all houses we went to. Now I see him all the time in regular non-haunted moments, and I'll admit I'm not really sure why I was so scared of his house all those years. It was just a joke, Jasper answered us with a shrug. I didn't expect it to work so well. If you do it again, I'll have you beat up, Kyle warned him. I'm serious. I've been seeing some huge gains in the gym lately. <laughs> Jasper ignored him. Kyle was especially insecure about Jasper's growth over the summer. He'd shot up a full two inches, while Kyle had barely cleared one. Consequently, he'd spent the first, the first few months of the school year threatening Jasper and occasionally resorting to scare tactics, like the time at lunch he made up a scientific fact that if you grow too tall too fast, your bones can get stretched thin and shatter. <laughs> Jasper ignored that, too. We have a lot of, like, bone stuff on this podcast that's we right in talk about how they keep getting bigger as we age we covered know. bones at one point in this podcast that's the most bone thing you can do cover bones yes. yeah despite kyle's slow pace and jasper's unsettling presence operation candy collection was off to a fine start this year we'd already hit up our cul-de-sac of course frank was giving out king-size candy bars this year kyle demanded two so that he had one for each pillowcase he had carefully explained to frank the importance of candy balance Weaking at us, Frank tricked Kyle by offering him an extra Snickers after we were all filled up. Kyle was so excited to get a bonus candy bar, he forgot to keep the number in even increments. Frank was the best, and not at all some sort of demon overlord. <laughs> the cul-de-sac next to ours was another treasure trove. There wasn't exactly another Frank giving out king sizes, because Frank was truly one of a kind, but we did pretty well. After hitting up yet another cul-de-sac, we were starting to get into a good rhythm. Look at these are all cul-de-sacs. It's just non-stop cul-de-sacs. I'm sorry, cul-de-sac. Oh. 
Oh. S'il vous plaît, Mr. Frenchman. Attorneys general. <laughs> Cul-de-sacs really do have the nicest people with the best candy, Jasper observed in his customary squeak. It's a good thing there's so many of them where we live. Yeah, yeah Brian, what a weird town <laughs> yeah, design. Brian did it. Brian trampled on the joke I had Kyle do just now. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's Coles de Sac, Kyle said, his huh. protest strangely meek, almost a whisper. Jasper ignored him. First time I realized that Coles de Sac was the plural was because a Gilmore Girls episode told me. Huh, that makes sense. That's probably why it popped in my mind to make a joke about that. Could be. I thought it was especially appropriate that Kyle the Jock is the one who knows that. No, that's great. Group. Yeah. We need to branch out a little, I said, trying to sound more confident than I was. This is exactly what happened last year, right before Jasper turned the evening into a horror film. I'd never really liked Jasper much, but I'd always thought he was harmless. Take Kyle, for instance. Kyle annoyed me most of the time, and sure, I'd trade him in for a different friend if the option presented itself, <laughs> but it hadn't. And annoying was manageable and safe. I thought Jasper fit into that category, albeit odd and quiet, whereas Kyle was brash and stupid, but equally harmless. In the years since learning Jasper was not harmless, and in fact quite possibly deranged, <laughs> I hadn't really known how to categorize our friendship. I guess I respected him as a person more, but it would take a while for him to fully earn my trust back. Kyle spoke up, pulling me out of my thoughts. Why? There's another cul-de-sac coming up. Or we could just go back to ours and make our way around the houses another time. We're not bothering Frank again, I said. Kyle pouted a little, his shoulders sagging slightly. Maybe he'd figured out he got an odd number of candy bars. Let's try that brand new neighborhood, Jasper offered. I'd like that idea a lot more if it hadn't been you the one to suggest it, I responded. I have a question, actually, mm -hmm. for you guys. This is about pranks. I was thinking about Jasper's prank. Mm -hmm. You guys think it crossed the line? I don't think it crossed the line. I think it could have crossed the line, but he played it well enough. Okay, Spencer, what do you I think? think as the author. Yeah, I don't, I don't think... Um... I don't think Jasper's a, a bad guy. I think it's, he had no idea how well it would how it would work on the main it's character. It's tough with pranks, because pranks are one of those things that, I suppose, done right, everybody's happy, everybody's laughing, you do them wrong, and somebody's very upset and no one's friends anymore. Suddenly you got a bunch of dead kids on your hands. I mean, exactly. I think on Halloween, like, going to your friend's neighborhood and talking someone that they've never mm -hmm. met into being in on the prank is pretty clever. He went all yeah. out. No, so I like that. Good. I also think Halloween's an acceptable prank time. Sure. sure. Yeah, if you're going to do it, do it then. Seriously, Jasper, Kyle interjected. My tackling skills are a lot better this year. You'd better not be planning anything. Calm down, Jasper said. I just want to see the new neighborhood. I think he meant it sincerely and was trying to assure us nothing horrible was going to happen this time, but it was hard to tell. It seemed like he might have been smiling ever so slightly, but his lips were almost as pale as the rest of his skin and it blended together. Who knows? <laughs> ghoul. Admittedly, I had been hoping to check out the new neighborhood, too. Construction had started exactly at dusk on the first day of fall and finished officially at midnight today, Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> they post their schedule outside this construction site, and it's like, no, it's done at midnight on Halloween. Yeah. Honey, I won't be home till midnight from my <laughs> construction project. I had asked Mom if it was normal for entire neighborhoods to be built in only one month, but she had just chuckled nervously and said that the advances in construction technology were no joke. Then she asked what sounded good for dinner, and I forgot all about it. Let's do it, I announced, my feet already leaning us that way before my mouth could even share my brain's intentions. The others fell into a step beside me, Kyle trailing behind just a little. What's this new place called again? he asked. Ghost Village, I answered him, pointing to the prominently displayed sign hanging over the entrance to the street. It was a really well-made sign, a little rustic, but with a modern touch. 
It was an ominous name to be sure, but honestly it couldn't be any scarier than the dense forest that our street had been pressed up against my whole life. When the construction company had shown up and started clearing out the land in late September, I was relieved. Nothing good ever happens in a forest. It's a gated community, Jasper said as we approached Ghost Village, <laughs> taking in the impressive wrought iron gate that blocked our entrance. Maybe there's an intercom system, Kyle said. What would we tell them if there was, I snapped, losing my patience with Kyle for the first time tonight. We're kids from a nearby neighborhood here on urgent trick-or-treating business. Let us in. Jasper ignored us, talk, taking in the gate quietly, his pale face aglow from the streetlight above. For a second, I swear the light penetrated right through his skin, and I could see a skeleton underneath. But I think that was just his normal translucence. <laughs> I shook myself calm and approached the gate the way all brave people approach gates. <laughs> there was a giant skull in the middle, <laughs> intricately designed as the center point so that it would split in half upon opening. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I want that. Ghost Village is a pretty cool place. The design was obviously top-notch. <laughs> Guys, I think we should move to Ghost Village. These ghosts all... Come in here and gentrify everything. <laughs> How does this sound, for instance? Live from Bootu Inc. Studios in Ghost Village, awesome. Boobtube Boys. And in this scenario, we have an announcer, which I appreciate, <laughs> I, too. I've always thought yeah. we should have an announcer. Instinctively, as if I had been here before in a different life, I placed my hand on the skull and rested it there gently. It was a chilly night and getting, and getting increasingly dark very quickly, but the skull was slightly warm to the touch. I thought I felt a little vibration, maybe the sensation of a deep rumbling laughter, and then the gate opened, slowly and with a prolonged creak. That's not a very practical security system, Kyle said as we passed through the entrance area. Just touch the skull and anyone can get in? Cool line, by the way. Yeah. Favorite sentence of the night. It may not be so easy getting out, Jasper said in a whisper. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Jasper. Whatever, I replied, picking up the pace as the first house on the right grew closer. It's just a normal neighborhood, Jasper. You touch the skull, you enter, you get candy. You touch the skull, you leave. Quit making it such a big deal. <laughs> Why is there no one else here? Kyle asked. It was true. While the houses all seemed normal and welcoming enough, and the streets were well lit, there was not a soul to be seen except for us. There weren't even any cars in the driveways or along the streets. They just finished the neighborhood at midnight, I said with a shrug. Everyone's still getting settled in. I'm sure they'll all be happy to take a break from moving in to give us some candy. By the way, that's really funny, too. Like, U-Hauls lined up on the street at midnight to move into mm -hmm. this newly built neighborhood. Called Ghost Village. On Halloween, also. <laughs> we had arrived in the driveway of the first house. It was enormous, like all the houses in Ghost Village. I couldn't help but notice that the exterior was solid black, except for the front door, which was bright red, and that the moon seemed to be looming directly behind, veiled ever so slightly by a cloudy mist. Ignoring the unease slowly spreading through my entire body, I forced my trembling arm forward and pressed the doorbell. I heard it chiming on the inside, echoing distantly throughout the house as if it were an empty cathedral. We waited a solid 30 seconds. No one appeared. Everyone exhaled at once. Ghost Village sucks, Kyle <laughs> said, trying to make himself laugh. No one's moved in yet or they're just too embarrassed and they don't have any candy to show themselves. Let's get out of here. For once, you're probably right, Kyle, I said, relief flooding my body and filling me with a sense of giddiness. I had faced my fears, and just like last year, it turned out there was nothing to them in the first place. Growing up was like that, I thought, feeling suddenly very wise. Life throws small tests at you along the way, and once you figure out the solution, you find the only obstacles were the ones you created for yourself. Truth. Preach. Let's go. Sorry, Jasper. 
Looks like you don't get to ruin anything this year. Just as I had turned away from the door in triumph, it swung open, interrupting me mid-sentence. Cold air hit us directly in the back, air that was much colder than the outside temperature. Chills creeping their way down my arms and neck. I froze. None of us had turned around yet. I made eye contact with Jasper, who seemed genuinely scared. Whatever was behind us, he had nothing to do with it. I told you it wouldn't be so easy to leave, he said. Kyle, sensing something very wrong was about to take place, was the first to move, naturally away from the house and toward the front gate. Because his pillowcases were so unbalanced, though, he quickly fell, where he started writhing in pain on the ground and clasping I like how his that shoulder. mattered. <laughs> yes. Slowly, knowing there was no other option, I turned back to the door. Jasper was frozen to the spot. He didn't turn around with me or even attempt to run as Kyle had. Jasper was so weird. Standing in the doorway, looking honestly more confused than menacing, was Frank. Well, he had the physical features of Frank, I should say, but with significantly less opacity. In fact, I could see right through Frank, <laughs> and not in the way I could with Jasper. Frank, it was plain to see, was an actual ghost. Frank, I said, mostly because that was all that came out. Ghost Frank looked at us from the doorway, realization slowly dawning on his ghostly face as he took in the scene. You touched the skull, didn't you? He asked, clearly saddened. I'm sorry. You kids don't belong in Ghost Village. Not yet. Ooh. We'll go, I said, my voice breaking, but I knew we couldn't. I knew it was too late for that. I told you it wouldn't be so easy to leave, Jasper said, still staring intently at the other side of the street. You touched the skull, Frank said in reply to me, shaking his head. No one leaves after touching the skull. What is this place? I asked, my mouth going dry. Ghost Village, Jasper replied in the same flat tone he'd been using since the door opened. He finally turned to me, his eyes burning into mine. We all live here now. Oh shit, Jasper, you little fucker. The exact same line he used in mm -hmm. in the story last mm -hmm. year. Yeah. When they when they find that this house is the one Jasper lives at and it's hell or wherever. I hope these kids make the another story, appearance next year the somehow. The story did the same way. What my thought on that was, is do you remember the clue books as a kid by chance where Every like one of them ended game? with yeah. Mr. Body dying. Yeah. yeah, yeah and then yeah. the next book explained it, what mm -hmm. actually happened. That is what I was thinking with this. There's always some kind of exclamation. So the reason that Ghost Village was like that and Frank was there was there's always going to okay. be some you dumb. Have to, yeah, unload a different explanation. And it's each always time. very, very lighthearted. Like nothing was ever to be taken seriously right. in the first place while trying to also end it in a chilling fashion every time. I don't know that I care to revisit these kids over and over again like that, but that was... That was my inspiration in this is just like every time we continue the story, it always ends horribly and never is bad. But and it always also, is fucking Jasper's fault. If this is the last one, though, it's a scary story. That's very true. Right? Yeah, so I think so. Unless, unless, and I like you know, that it is actually Halloween themed. I know. thought. Van anyway, and I aren't good at that. <laughs> I really loosely tied in Halloween to that first one. I mean, I, that was just a reach. But this one, yeah, I mean, it's centered around it. I had a vision in my head. I don't know. It's not ever going to be written, but I had a vision in my head of like, okay, well, is this, is this neighborhood still, is it still being, it's brand new. Are these ghosts like whoever touches the skull, they get to choose a house now. <laughs> and they all live like, They get fine. to move in. It might that would be, be awesome. It might be a perfectly fine ghost neighborhood. It's just, they can't go back to their <laughs> old lives. Because okay. let's say this is a village where there aren't any Frank ghosts. And you, there's a skull that you touch to get in, and then you get to pick a house. That sounds cool as shit. I, I mean, you that. don't get to go back to your life, though. Uh, yeah, no cares about that. I, I mean, could probably I don't have a lot going on. Text here. you guys to come in there and 
be in also there too. Kill and we can record in there. Come live in this neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> I do. You brought up the clue books, and yes, I love those when I was a kid. I do want to point out the one thing that always stuck with me with those books is in one of them they're trying to figure out why some actor who's doing a commercial for like a fried chicken place they think he's the villain or whatever, and the chapter ends with him filming the commercial and the kids watching or describing it and they go like, and then he took a bite of the chicken, smiled and said, it's very good and spit it out. <laughs> How rude. And then the result is like, yeah, he films a lot of commercials and has to do like 40 takes. He doesn't yeah. eat the chicken. You can't time. eat that every single time. That'd be like, you would feel terrible. Stuck with me. I bet you the first time you go for one of those, you do try to do that because you're like, oh, food. All right, last story here, Spencer. This one's Brian's. Last story, and it is Brian's. It's called The Horse for Emily. And so a little, you little have preface. Any of, yeah. A yeah. little background. So I wanted to give us a little bit of a tale of faith and redemption. Um, something of a... a, a pun? Like a horse tail or just a, just a tail <laughs> tail? Well, we'll see. And, and something involving loss and grief and, and sort of the cycle of life, Do you I really say. pulled into our experience of watching a lot of these Christian horse movies? Because, in fact, A Horse for Ashley might be the title of one of those. I think it is. Or A Horse for Someone. Summer. (laughs) That's A Horse for Summer is definitely maybe. It might be the first horse Christian horse movie that we watched together. Had Dean Cain in it. Yeah. Yeah. The one where he had the So drawing inspiration from those sorts of movies as well as an existential horror of a sort. (laughs) Here we go. I think that works for all these. If it doesn't tie in directly to horror, it's that. It's the kind of horror that we all live in. It works. No question it. A Horse for Emily by Brian Vaughn. Emily always considered herself a good person. Sure, there were the occasional bumps in the road, but that's everyone, right? She was 16, headstrong, and prepared to graduate high school a year early. Her biggest roadblock seemed to be an innocuous one. She'd broken curfew too many times for her father, Todd, to look the other way. Todd? Todd's final straw was Emily's absence from church last Sunday morning. He knew she'd been out at the local non-secular rock and roll club with her best friend Stacy the night before. As opposed to the secular <laughs> rock and roll club. Possibly like branches of a franchise. <laughs> Possibly even cavorting with known vape users. He feared Emily was falling in with the wrong crowd. The sort of kids who would rather drink soda before bed than do their theology homework. Stacy <laughs> loved Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Makes me kind of want some Dr. Pepper right now, I'll be honest. It does sound kind of good. We could go for some. I don't like it. Throat's a little parched. Or, you know, I wouldn't reach for Dr. Pepper first, but I'm thirsty. Stacy would reach first. Yeah, good for her. When Todd grounded Emily for missing church, she wasn't surprised. She knew there was a chance her reasonable mom, Jessica, could change her dad's mind. She also knew that the worst case scenario here would be a week or two stuck in the house. I get it, Dad, Emily said to Todd while maintaining eye contact. I know you've established rules for a reason, and I know you're just trying to look out for me. She was careful not to lie. Emily really did believe her father loved her and wanted the best for her, but she also knew she wasn't the church type. Todd struggled to accept that Emily was different from him. She found fellowship hanging out with friends and playing board games with her family. She understood love and forgiveness by exposure to both. She didn't understand why all these qualities could only be attained with the permission of an authority figure. And while she prayed every night, it seemed many of the church's social values strayed far from what her heart told her in her quietest moments. Reasonable, Stacy. See, we're oh. identifying with Stacy or Emily. Emily, yeah, me, I yeah. said I made that mistake. Emily. Yeah, Emily's really kind of coming into her own as a young woman. Mm. For his part, Todd didn't relish punishing his daughter. He only followed through with it because he felt it would benefit her in the long run. 
Todd and Jessica had different views on a lot of things, and he'd learned a great deal of compassion from her since they met in Bible college all those years ago. Todd had since become an usher at church, while Jessica's career as a journalist ultimately led her away from the pews and into an array of curiosities for her mind to chew on. Emily had come to appreciate her parents' dovetailing personalities and the impact they had on her. The well-rounded upbringing. <laughs> I mean, they seem to love each other. Well, together. we'll see how Todd handles all this before we get to let's sure, not sure. praise her parents too much. Post-grounding, Emily paced around her room listening to her angriest music through earbuds <laughs> while wondering why her mom wasn't home yet to hear her appeal. Then over the roaring guitars of her favorite band, she heard a thunderous crash. The lights in her room flickered. Emily flung her earbuds out to the floor, trying to get a sense of what happened. She heard her father yell something downstairs. Emily flung the door to her room open, all animosity gone. Dad, what's going on? What was that? I don't know, Emmy, but whatever it was, it was really close. Go ahead and come down. Emily could tell her dad was worried, so she quickly shuffled down the stairs and joined him by the bay windows that faced the street they had lived on her whole life. Todd unlatched one of the windows and poked his head out, Emily falling suit, both of their hearts dropping at the sight of a blue sedan smashed into a telephone pole at the intersection bordering their lawn. So it's like every Christian horse movie where someone important has to die. This is good. Oh, just wait. The car was her mother's, Todd's wife's. The car was Jessica's. Emily flew out the front door of the house, screaming, no, 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 into the evening air. None of her neighbors bothered to open their doors to see what was happening, let alone to help Emily. Is this Ghost Village or something? Why aren't they getting out there and helping? <laughs> Todd ran ahead to the car, to the accident, still unable to believe what he was seeing. Emily's mind raced. She had seemingly lost her mother in the blink of an eye. A punishment more severe than any father could dole out. A punishment crueler and more forced than any Hollywood plot. Wait, come to think of it, why wasn't anyone coming out to check on the crash? Emily felt as if she was in a movie with a budget so small the casting director couldn't hire extras. <laughs> it was only now that Emily realized the mortifying truth. She was trapped in a Pure Flicks original film and she had no idea how to get out. So we've got our big twist here. Bunch of asterisks, some time is going to pass here. Asterisks Emily. of time. <laughs> Emily knew what came next. She would never have admitted this to her father, but she had watched plenty of, of Pure Flix original films with her friends as a source of laughs, not as a means to deepen her faith. Emily considered herself a Christian, sure, but she didn't believe in the blind dogma she saw in these movies. It also didn't help that she had found the plot lines and dialogue laughable, or that many of the lead actors were reprehensible people adopting a faith to stay relevant. <laughs> it all went just as Emily knew it would, and she was numb the whole time. After Jessica's funeral, Todd found himself unable to juggle his all-consuming grief and Emily's continued misbehavior. First, he found a DVD copy of Turner and Hooch under Emily's bed, <laughs> a movie he had specifically instructed Emily to avoid after learning it featured both canine excitement and police officers admitting to mistakes. The greatest sin. <laughs> then he caught her listening to a particularly disgusting podcast about television called Boob Tube Boys. <laughs> From what Todd could make out, all these delinquents seemed to talk about was necromancy and someone named Gior, <laughs> which was most certainly not a name from either testament. Gior, Gior, Gior. You know, that could get teens back into the Bible. If Gior were in it. Mm -hmm. Instead of David versus Goliath, it's David versus Gior, but Gior wins. Gior well, yeah, I mean, win. that would change the whole context. <laughs> the whole Bible, the whole Christianity concept. <laughs> Feeling he had no better choice to save his daughter's future and make her a true believer, 
Todd sent Emily to stay with his brother Kevin's family out in the country. Kevin was a tall, weathered man, a rancher, who had earned his stripes in battle and among the cattle. I have to be careful because my, my accent is starting to change here to a, <laughs> a tall, To a Kevin man. Sorbo kind of accent or... No, I... What, 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 you wouldn't be able to do where that. Where was he from again? The North. It was like Michigan. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can't do that, but I'm starting to get You Western. certainly can't read lines like him. You <laughs> I, couldn't, you could I not could try. whiff on it that if bad I if I forgot them all and, you know, didn't, and, and read the, read the screen prompt or whatever his, his character prompt. Yeah. <laughs> Disappointed is what I'll be if you do that. No, I'm kidding. Also, we don't know that this is Kevin Sorbo. I might have accidentally mm. picked the name Kevin. You might have. Let's so, keep going. Though. Let's see. Let's see. I didn't even connect Kevin. I just assumed brother that's a cowman grown up on the fields of cows. And I, well, be, I mean, it wouldn't would be, be Kevin. Kevin Sorbo, but well, you know, sure. That's an actor. We're talking about a real man's man here, <laughs> but also a real man of God. <laughs> Kevin was nothing if not a devout Christian. And it was his faith that had gotten him through losing his wife a decade ago. <laughs> He'd also lost his wife, apparently. Todd figured Kevin in the local community of Freedom Town could help Emily get on the right track. And just maybe she could warm up old Kevin's cold heart along the way. <laughs> it's just until we figure things out, Todd assured Emily as she stood on her Uncle Kevin's dusty porch, looking up at the antlers nailed above the door frame. Emily nodded as her father drove off, turning around to see Kevin. The uncle she had never actually met, despite her father's kind words about him. Wait, you're Kevin Sorbo? <laughs> you're oh, the fuck actor Kevin Sorbo? Emily exclaimed in surprise. Yes, dear, you're every bit as lucky as you think you are. <laughs> it is I, Kevin Sorbo. As you know, I played Hercules in primetime. I was a big deal. <laughs> I would have been cast as Captain America or Ryan Gosling if it weren't for this <laughs> whole woke cancel culture. It's practically illegal to be a Christian in America these days. It's nice to meet you too, Emily said with a forced smile <laughs> as Kevin began to show her the assortment of wooden signs with family-centric phrases on them that adorned <laughs> the walls of his inordinately huge home. <laughs> Emily noticed several trophies in the middle of the fireplace. She moved closer to investigate them. As Kevin stoked the fire below with copies of Little Women, <laughs> he believed only a patriarch should be represented in a book's title, <laughs> and Garfield comic strip collections, which he sincerely believed included a homosexual relationship. Of whom? The cat and John. Were Odie involved in this? Nermal's a boy, did you know that? No. No, I didn't. Nermal's a boy. He's just a cute boy. <laughs> he is a cute boy. <laughs> hey, what are these trophies from? Emily asked of a dozen gold horse statues before. <laughs> oh, those? Those are... Those are nothing, Kevin said bluntly, turning away from his niece. Sorry I asked, I just... Before Emily could continue, Kevin <laughs> whirled back around. You see, I was the state champion in horses four <laughs> years running. Could have won nationals if it weren't for the accident. Or maybe it was because of when my wife died. Was that because of cancel culture too? I don't know. I've been in a lot of these movies, and I'm an idiot, so it's really hard for me to keep track of it all. He's self-aware. Emily saw her opening. She could use Kevin's confusion over which low-budget Christian movie he was in to mount her escape. Her deep knowledge of pure flicks plot conventions would surely suit her well. As Kevin peered off into nowhere while muttering something about the border, Emily made her move for the door. She padded over to the door quietly and eased it open only to find the blondest family she'd ever seen standing before her. Two twins, a boy and a girl around five, stood up straight in front of their mother. Emily felt blinded by denim and checkers, so it's possible some of the clothing was also khaki. We are all so happy you're here, sweetheart, 
Your uncle has told us all about you and your walk with Christ, as well as the complaints he lodged against the showrunner for Andromeda. The woman <laughs> paused to smile even bigger. I'm Heritage May Justice. <laughs> These two little warriors for the Lord are Noah James Liberty and Sin Piercer. Sin <laughs> Piercer. The twins said hello and waved in unison. He slowly trickling down the smiling boy's leg. I made you a painting, the little girl Emily was supposed to call Sin Piercer said excitedly. Holding up a sheet of yellow construction paper with a crude cross and the word repent scrolled on it. <laughs> a chill went down Emily's spine. Emily tried to return Heritage May's smile as the color drained from her face, but it wasn't working. Scared, Emily turned back around to her lumbering, hollow-eyed Uncle Kevin Sorbo <laughs> standing directly behind her. Emily was trapped. The church is screening my cult classic God's Not Dead tonight, Emily. I think it could open your eyes to how the world really is, Kevin said as he moved a step closer. Emily turned back to face the blonde family on the porch. Yes, Emily, come with us and learn why the dirty atheists are ruining our ordained land and why you're dumb and worthless without the strength of a good man, Heritage <laughs> May said, her eyes narrowing. Mommy, is Emily going to come play worship and shame with us? <laughs> Noah James Liberty asked, got to get all his names in there, gazing up at his pale provider. She sure is my tiny prophet, Heritage May answered, tussling her son's hair. The walls closing in on her, Emily had to think fast. She remembered unloading her cell phone on the entryway table when she arrived, right beneath the Faith Family Gerrymandering Placard. <laughs> she had an idea. Siri, play WAP, he called out in desperation. Is that how you say that, WAP? Yep. Okay. Siri, play WAP, she called out in desperation. Her phone responded dutifully, blasting the Cardi B hit loudly. The porch blondes and Kevin Sorbo all gasped audibly, their hands flying to cover their ears. <laughs> Emily knew even one verse of WAP could buy her some time. There is perhaps no greater specific fear in the Pure Fix community than a black woman speaking candidly about sex, let alone in a format of music that could not be performed by the Newsboys or Carmen. <laughs> Emily used the song's distraction to brush right past the family on Kevin's porch. She didn't know what to do or where to go, so she just kept running. She ran right past the handsome young ranch hand in the checkered <laughs> shirt, who she knew would teach her how to feed apples to a horse. She ran right past the horse she would have fed apples to. She ran past the stable she would have worked at all summer, past the pavilion where she would have won her own golden trophy for being the best at horses. Emily hoped that if she just ran fast enough, she could outrun her tragic past. With a gasp... It's deep, you guys. Mm. With a gasp, Emily shot awake covered in sweat. Had it all been a dream? It had all been a dream. She was back at home, back in her bed. Her earbuds sat on her nightstand beside a picture of her and her parents at SeaWorld, years before her dad had disavowed Orcas as instruments of the left. <laughs> Emily climbed out of bed and ran out into the hall, dashing down the stairs. Emily was ready to reclaim her life. Mom! Dad! Where are you guys? Sweetie, did you have a nightmare? You're drenched. There was Jessica in the kitchen, having her morning cup of coffee like she always did, like she'd never been in a car accident, like she'd never left. Todd walked into the kitchen to join them. Whoa, Emmy, you look like you're on a marathon. Emily was too shocked to speak, too grateful to move. The doorbell rang before she could say another word. That must be our company, Jessica said excitedly. Your uncle's in town, Emmy. Will you say hi before you take a shower and get ready? Emmy nodded in agreement. But as Jessica walked to answer the door, her heart began to race. How would she react to seeing her Uncle Kevin after the awful nightmare she'd just had about him? 
The door opened, and Emmy heard a deep, unintelligible mumble answer her mother's greeting. Oh, woo, it's just my Uncle Chris. It hadn't occurred to Emily that when her mother said her uncle was in town, it might not be Kevin. Why would she have met Uncle Kevin anyway? Kevin hadn't been around since she was born. Emily felt silly for worrying. How was the drive-in, Chris? Todd asked his considerably older brother. Marble mumdahum sockle calter the digger one, Uncle Chris <laughs> replied. Ump smurfle clop, he added after as if for clarification. Can I ask, is Chris with a K? Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. And now I get that? it. Now uh, I get it too. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't. <laughs> I was trying to th- anyway. <laughs> that's that's great, Chris. Jessica <laughs> offered, completely unsure of what Chris had just said. <laughs> While Chris had once been a prominent musician and actor, <laughs> he had lost the ability to enunciate clearly decades ago. <laughs> Marple clump storf donkey rumness, Chris said, pointing to his truck in the driveway. <laughs> no one knew what the fuck Chris was talking about, but he repeated himself anyway. Marple clump storf dork of rumpus, Chris said with increased emphasis. Everyone's eyes followed Chris's finger, still fixed on the pickup truck in the driveway. It was then that Kevin emerged from the passenger seat. Emily's panic began anew, but she quickly went to work undoing its faulty logic. She had a dream. It isn't like Kevin had any way of knowing about it, and the Kevin from her dream wasn't real. Kevin, Jessica called out. It must have been, wow, 20 years? It's so good you came. Todd ran out and gave his brother a hug. Kevin had lived in the middle of nowhere for so long that Todd assumed his brother might never come visit, might never meet his only child. Kev, this is an absolute blessing, Todd said, pulling his brother close. Let's all go inside and catch up. As Kevin approached the house, Emily stood in the doorway smiling, ready to put her nightmare behind her and greet her uncle. Maybe the lesson she could take from all her terror was to cherish family and embrace love wherever it might be. Kevin, you're not going to believe this as tall as she is now. But this is our daughter, Emily, Jessica said, squeezing Emily's shoulder proudly. It's a pleasure, Kevin exclaimed graciously, hugging his niece. If I didn't know any better, I think we met before, Kevin said with a wink. Emily forced another smile as everyone began taking their jackets off and making themselves at home. Emily plopped down in her favorite spot on the couch, right in the corner, exhausted but glad to be surrounded by the people that she loved, the people that loved her. Glad that they were all still here. Glad that the trauma she experienced in her slumber had not crossed into her waking moments. I have to text Stacy about this, Emily suddenly thought. Dr. Pepper drinker. A lifetime worth of trauma in 24 hours and she hadn't even been able to tell her best friend yet. What good was being 16 if you couldn't unload all your emotions to your friends? Todd and Jessica sat down beside Emily while Kevin and Chris took the recliners flanking the couch. Emily fumbled through the pockets of her hoodie and then her purse realizing she had no idea where she put her phone before her hellish sleep. Have you guys seen my phone? Emily asked, turning to her parents beside her on the couch. Both parents shook their heads no. Emily assumed her phone was upstairs, but she didn't want to leave her mom's side. Not right now. Not after just getting her back. Siri, play WAP, Emily instructed aloud, smiling to herself at the allusion to her dream, her own private secret about the worst night of her life, a night that never really happened. Emily heard her phone ring. But it wasn't from a room above. It was from Kevin's pocket. Oh, shit. Woo. It happened. We need another dun dun Because remember, there. her phone yeah. was on the fucking, the on thing. his, yeah. And she ran out. Yeah. Oh, uh, I have to say, this oh. was a, this was another thing where you masterfully weaved in multiple uh, tall tale characters, or in this case, <laughs> In this case, Pure Flakes actors are Christian Which Morton is actors. a tall tale universe of its it own. It is. It's maybe even more of a tall tale. Kevin Sorbo, Chris Christopherson, you know. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I am oh, shocked. I actually wasn't like a cousin Dean. <laughs> I actually only used a couple people just in case I do want to revisit sure. the oh, Pure yeah. Flix universe. Maybe yeah, Kirk this... Cameron and David A.R. White come <laughs> make an appearance later. Another thing is I feel like you could even turn this into a sequel next year. You could if you wanted to. There's, there's oh, some easily. More, we there's could, some more there. We could revisit the same loving American family. Guys, I think we sufficiently frightened each other. Yes. Yeah, I'm listeners. Terrified. And my throat is dry. I read a whole bunch. We Yeah. And oh, by the way, I was doing a bunch of Star Wars uh, ads. So I was doing a bunch of stupid voices, blew out my throat. And I was like, oh shit, I'm going to struggle with creepypastas. But I did okay. I purposefully refrained from, I, <laughs> I don't even know why this is, why I'm saying this on the recorded part. I purposefully refrained from doing like any singing the last few days. Mm. I've had like a sore throat anyway. Just to preserve it. To preserve I had it, to. Yeah. Well, it was, it's for the greater good. For the greater good. The greater On good. On to the other. On to the, the next <laughs> one. Peter loves you. You know what? We're quite the group of tours with the stories we're able to weave. But we're going to get back to normal next time around and talk about the Munsters like we always do. Before we get out of here, though, we're all over the place. We're on TikTok. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. It's at BoobTubeBoys, wherever that is. We're all individually on Twitter. I'm at Loud Guitar. Brian Van is at Manly Van Lee. Spencer is at 3French underscore Hen. Holy shit. I mean, you could say the number three if you really want to specify, but good job. That's true. I'm glad First you First time it. I've ever gotten it right. We've After done a like hundred of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very good. Absolutely. Before we get out of here, I'd also like to thank Johnny Radical for helping us out on the social media. And, and that amazing story. Absolutely. Mm, us. And I'd also like to thank each of us for... We did some fine work. Yeah, for scaring the shit out of each other. Anybody have any final seasonal thoughts on Halloween, on telling scary stories? I do, I do. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.